Hi, Ken. Welcome back. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. What's new? Have you attended actually Java One? Yes, I had the the good fortune of, of going to Java One. I had uh, one session that I was presenting with uh, another individual, and um, it was really about seeing the old gang again. Mm-hmm. It's been a couple years, and uh, so it was just fun to to hang out with that same group who all we've done is write tweets to each other in the last three years. And um, what is your impression of Java One? It was the very first time in Las Vegas. Uh, so how was it? Well, certainly if we focus exclusively on the conference, I suspect there was a last minute nature to it. Nobody really knew if it was going to happen. And so I, I think we all agreed that attendance was much lower because individuals didn't have enough time to make the necessary arrangements, work it out with their employer and so on. Uh, certainly the quality of the, of the sessions were as good as ever before. Uh, not a big fan of Las Vegas as a destination, only because I don't gamble and I don't drink. Yeah. Which appears to be the only other two things, or going to see rock bands from the 80s and 90s playing at hotels. Uh, the origins? Originals? or, or- Yeah, yeah. You know, you walk down the strip and, you know... Uh, Bruno Mars is playing um, a whole range of, of bands that were more popular again back in the, the 80s, 90s, even the 2000s. Uh, this is where you go for your um, your residency, so you don't have to travel. Okay, because um, I was in Las Vegas once on, on the server-side conference, and I was pleasantly actually surprised about Las Vegas. I, I, I thought it is way worse. And uh, but uh, I, I don't drink and I don't gamble either. But uh, still, I, I I was actually it was better than expected. So I I was able now to walk the strip and uh, it was nice weather, and uh, it was better than some places in Germany, you know, in in larger cities. So mm-hmm. uh, f- for me, I actually was absolutely okay back then, or okay, I, I would say it was mm-hmm. uh, way better than expected. So I was pleasantly actually surprised by the entire Las Vegas experience. For me, it was more like Disneyland for grown-ups. I, I've definitely heard that that expression. Um, it, it's you know, and it, it is an interesting place. I think everybody has to go there at least once. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'll, if I ever go back, it may only be for other conferences. But for myself, anyways, I just did not see that uh, for my wife and I as a destination where we would do stuff. We've uh, my wife and I have traveled throughout Europe. Uh, we've even been to Japan. Uh, we like to, to see things, uh, these things we've seen on TV. Uh, so going to Vegas, I kept looking for CSI people, uh, crime scene investigation. <laughs> I was looking for chalk outlines on the streets, uh, but I didn't see any of that, but it just, it just didn't, didn't tickle me. But I would say for conference is Las Vegas great, right? Because you spend the entire time in the sessions anyway. And if you walk out, there's a foot. What I remember is I forgot some cable. And I remember that in the Caesar Palace, I think in the hotel, there was even an Apple store. So I walked down and bought the Mm -hmm. cable, then walked back to the session and it just worked out. So I would say as a destination for a conference event, it is great, right? No? Absolutely, right? The the facilities, the the room and everything else, first rate. For vacations, I will never do this. But for conferences, actually, yeah. yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's okay. it. I, I have no prov- prov- uh, prov- problem going there for a conference, but certainly, no. If I were going to do a vacation, no, I, I'd find somewhere else. Though my wife and I may go back to that area because I've never been to the Grand Canyon, for instance. Yeah. Which isn't that far from Vegas. And there's some other, you know, amazing pieces of uh, geology in that part of the U.S. that I've never had a chance to see. How far is it from you, from Canada? So how, how long do you have to fly to Las Vegas? Uh, five and a half hours. Okay. It's so It's almost as long as going to Europe. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, <laughs> funny actually, right? So, yeah. Interesting. So uh, uh, pre-recording, we had a, a very short chat, like 30 seconds until I interrupted you. We have to record now. And um, so we talk about the time. So ask me you now how, how, how it's going. And I say, okay, great. So the problem is the time. The time just flies. And, and you said something interesting that uh, as you were a kid, you know, the time was, uh, how to call it, everything was slower. 
it's and, and right. now it everything it took longer took longer and uh, now it accelerates and it's also my experience what i remember as a teenager sometimes you know um stuff was boring and uh i had you know to kill the time but now no more for years no more and even if there's nothing to do it's still you know it it just flies is it is it it's interesting, you know, uh, is it like scientifically proven? It was interesting, you know, because it seems like common perception across all people, actually. The older you are, the faster, you know, the time goes, right? I, I'm certainly not aware of any, you know, research on the subject. But that's certainly, you know, in, in talking to people I know and, and you know, other friends in, in my age group, and I'm 68 now. Um, yeah, no, things happen a, a lot faster. Uh, you know, you have you seem to have less time to sit back and relax. There's exactly. oh no, we don't have enough time to do this, to do that. Exactly. And it actually should be the other way around, right? Because if you are young, everything is new and exciting. Yeah. And now it should be boring because, okay, we see this and we are bored because this is nothing mm -hmm. new. But this is actually exactly the opposite, which is even more interesting. So um, maybe, you know, one explanation would be if you are, let's say, one day old, then it's a one day, you know, the, uh, this is your entire life. But <laughs> if you are 16 years old, let's say, right, then it's the one day less significant. Maybe it is the relation between the time and your age. You know, somewhere there's got to be somebody doing a PhD on this right now. <laughs> right now, exactly. This is, uh, I thought, you know, you are one, one of the guys. But... What we wanted to talk about today is what does it mean to be a professional programmer? And we stopped doing this the last time. And now is the question, you, know, you, 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 you um, told me the last time that um, you talk with students regarding testing and unit testing. And, um, and this will be actually interesting from your perspective. So actually, what does it mean? To be a professional programmer, exactly. So um, I ask you the question right away. So what to do? I would like to be a professional program programmer. You know? What I have to do to be one? Well, you know, I've always felt that being a programmer is an engineering discipline. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not as some people like to think of it as an art form. <laughs> it, it is about applying recognized principles to solve problems. Mm -hmm. So when you say, what does it mean to be a professional programmer? It begins by recognizing what these principles are, mm -hmm. uh, you know, what the, the approaches. And there's many different, you know, there's object-oriented languages, functional languages, and so on. And so they'll take But let's stick with approach. Java. This is what we can, okay. you know, common, common ground. So I, I know Java, you know Java. And um, so exactly... Let's say we are hired to build a Las Vegas conference management system, mm -hmm. LCM S, and uh, and um, yeah, how we would start. Well, the first thing is always the analysis of the requirements. Mm -hmm. What do you expect from the system? I know as a teacher, it was frustrating to try and convince my students that they needed to map out. To put down on paper, use that old-fashioned thing called a pencil, and, and, and think about what your program's going to do. For many students, you know, the adrenal, adrenaline rush comes from writing code, mm -hmm. running it. It works. All, mm -hmm. I'm all happy. Mm -hmm. But if you don't know what exactly you're trying to accomplish, right, you're just adding more and more time. So, you know, the first part of being a professional programmer is understanding how to, to, to plan, how to, you know, develop the, the approach you're going to take before you write a single line of code. That could involve uh, flowcharts, uh, UML diagrams. But exactly now, just... let's say we, we do the conference management system. So okay. I have the pencil and, 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 uh, and paper. What do we do? Well, the questions you start asking are... Um, what information must this system capture? So if we say it's a conference management system, mm -hmm. what does that mean? Exactly. Are we talking about, well, we've been to conferences ourselves. We know what it is. There's, you know, the all the information about sessions, all the information about attendees, mm -hmm. all the information about speakers, call for proposals. Uh, it's actually a good time to talk about it because I'm in the middle of finishing the organization of the J Champions Conference okay. that happens in January. 
right? So I've been going through those steps uh, using different uh, applications. But you have to know what your what the information, the data is, and what you want to accomplish from it. What do you want from it? Is it going to produce schedules? Is it going to create web pages? Is it yeah? But usually, paper? you you are hired by a someone who has usually a half idea what it means, right? So this mm -hmm. is this is the if someone would you know to have a conference management system, um, and actually I worked a lot because I was um, often hired as a speaker, so I, I had to direct contact you know to the people who run the conferences and and they they more or less had a half idea. So um, they asked me even once whether I could write a conference management system for them, and as I and I asked them you no, know, what do you expect? And they had no idea. So this is reality. <laughs> so the question is you know how to deal with it. So how how we. Uh, deal with the situation because the main problem is that the people who hire you have no idea what to build, right? That's it. Um, one of the things, you know, the, I, I had mentioned UML earlier. Um, there's some good things about the UML, some things not quite so good, but I've always enjoyed uh, the use cases, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Because that's the kind of silly stick figure diagram that you can sit down with a client and say, okay, mm -hmm. This particular employee in your organization will be responsible for this. Mm -hmm. um, people wanting to attend will send input in this way. So this is what I mean. Before you write a line of code, you need to identify everything that you plan to do. And that becomes even more important when you start talking about billing. Because you want to make sure that you and the client are on the same page, that you've agreed on the type of work to be done, um, they know what you're they're getting, so that, and it's going to happen, as you get close to the end, they suddenly realize, ooh, we need feature X, feature mm -hmm. Y. We forgot to include uh, food <laughs> in the management system. Yes. Well, that's cool. Here's all our documentation. You never mentioned food before. You want to talk about it now. That's another 20, 30, 50 hours, and it's going to cost you that much more. Mm -hmm. But you and said everything. Um, I don't think it's possible to have everything. What I would suggest in such a case, hopefully I'm still professional then, but um, <laughs> I would start, you know, let's let's start with the sessions. So let's say, forget speakers. Let's create just session management and don't talk about speakers. It's a little bit risky because it may happen that, you know, there is no session without a speaker, but at least, you know, we can focus on sessions right now and do the speaker management later. So what I will do, I would start... Not yeah, we could use use cases, but uh, what I planned, uh, but I'm more from the developer perspective. What are thinking in entities? You know, what are the essential uh, substantives, the 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 substance of the system? So let's say session. How a session looks like? So the title, you know, the length, and and so forth. Because and and this is actually the start of the architecture. Because if we have the entity, the class. Then the next step, you know, we have maybe a database table or what usually happens, we had at least a subsystem. So we will have in Java a package, a subsystem with the name session. And uh, this is where uh, there are two approaches. So use cases more like uh, analyst level. And, you know, with the entities, the essential entities is more like developer or designer level, right? So we have two, two um, how to call it? points of view, actually, right? Mm -hmm. So from outside is the use case perspectives, the outside view, and the, uh, the, 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 the inside into the system is more like, you know, which data do we have to, 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 to deal with? And I call that essential entities or, or you know, the coarse grain domain objects. So we have at least one session, and this is the rough data of the session, like, you know, title, maybe, maybe right. the, the, the speaker description, and this basically it, right? Uh, absolutely. But the, it goes back to the question, uh, how exactly have you acquired this job? Mm -hmm. um, you know, are there architects mm -hmm. who have, you know, done the use cases, you know, mapped out all the functionality required, and now it's being given to the developers to implement it? Or if you're, you know, a small contractor, you may be responsible for everything from architecture right down to the final code. So it's important, I think, that a developer, a professional developer, has to know something about architecture, that they have to be able to, you know, tell clients, yeah, this is the approach we're going to take, and even to say no, 
Or if they're not talking directly to their client, then they're talking to their the same company, their, um, their architects, their analysts, and saying, hey, you know, you've given me something, but it's not going to make sense. It's not going to work here. A question so, to you, because I did yeah. also some UML modeling at um, some years ago. Um, question to you pers personally. Are you actually able to write spec without coding? Because for me, I can do it maybe half a day or a day, you know? And then if I code a little bit, I'm forced to think more precisely about the problem. Because if you're just drawing circles and UML, um, you, maybe conference management system is, um, is too easy. But if you usually, the next problem we have is uh, I never built a system twice. So every project is different, completely different. Right. Right. So and and if you if you model from high level, after one day you say, Okay, I know everything, right? But then you start to code like, oh man, we forgot completely about versioning or locking or whatever, and then we have to respecify. So maybe it's an iteration. So a little bit coding, a little bit specifying, a little bit coding. Because for me it's really hard to sit down and specify this system correctly. Uh, I, I understand what you're saying. The the issue of course is, you know, And, and there's my concern. If I don't have a good handle on what exactly the system is, if I haven't, for instance, uh, if we say, where do we start? I would start with database tables, mm -hmm. right? This yeah. would be one of the very first things I would be developing based on the information from the client. Mm -hmm. And this gives me an opportunity to see all the information I have mm -hmm. and then develop code. Um, I'm not quite sure if you're a professional, you're, you have a company, you're doing software design, that you can say to a client, okay, here's a little bit of what we're going to do, uh, but I'll come back to you with the rest of it once I code a little bit of it so <laughs> I can decide what the next thing is. I don't think you're going to have a good relationship with a client. Uh, it depends because some of the clients, they have actually no idea how the system will look like, right? Because what, what I also, they have even not... Uh, the now it's a little bit easier because you know we have the mobile phones. But uh, a few years back, we had you know internal clients who, who knew the host system, for instance, you know the uh, ZOS, mm -hmm. had no idea about PC. Let's say so they they and and then it was really hard because we talk about UIs and they say okay what is it uh, they, they, mm -hmm. and then in one point of time we even had you know to emulate the behavior of the host system with a Swing, for instance, which was uh, really hard. Now it is easier because everyone knows you know the Web UIs, everyone has um, a tablet mm -hmm. or a smartphone. So there is at least a common ground how a user interface should look like. But even then, you know, is it uh, reactive or uh, should we, you know, block the UI and waiting? Should we um, update it reactively? So sometimes it is easier to have a working proof of concept. So we can have the session, you know, with subset of the UI, mm -hmm. then go back to the client, they see the UI and say, okay, cool, let's uh, do the same for the speakers or for um, whatever, right? Um, and, um, or CSI uh, uh, cases. Yeah. And, uh, and um, so it is not that easy what, uh, what I wanted to tell you. So I think it's sometimes really hard, you know, to, 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 uh, to, to use use case diagrams to communicate with the clients. Even use, user stories, which are similar to use cases, more like, mm -hmm. you know, like a story, uh, what should happen is a little bit less formal and therefore maybe more suitable for non-technical clients, but it's still hard to capture, you know, the system. I, I understand what you're saying, but I, I really feel that both the developer and the client has to have, before that first line of code is written, a good idea of what is going to come out at the other end. Um You know, to say, okay, you want a, a you know, a session management system. Uh, I really want to know what the client thinks that's going to mean to them, right? And if they come back and they say, well, client management or session management, it means we're going to manage sessions. Mm -hmm. Well, tell me what you've been doing to manage sessions. Mm -hmm. How have you been doing it up until now? Uh, yeah, you exactly. know, I certainly have my idea of what that means, But that could be very different from what the client thinks managing sessions is. Therefore, it's a very good idea to have you know a good connection to the client. So if the client mm -hmm. you know is, sits uh, near you, it's really the best because you can yeah. code a little bit, show him the you know uh, the the user interface, and say, okay, this is what you actually think about. As the client says yes or no, this would be the best, I would say. 
Well, it's interesting. My son works for a software development company here in Montreal. He does He's in charge of QA. And I've learned a lot about how these companies, you know, organize projects, mm-hmm. you know. And so you have, you know, the the project or the, you know, the project owner. Mm-hmm. This becomes the stand-in for the client mm-hmm. for all the developers and the QA people. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, there is somebody close by, but that project owner has to have a good relationship with the client mm-hmm. to make sure that they're passing the right information on to their development team. Yes. So it, it comes down to how big an organization you are. You know, my son works at a company with over 100 people, right? A big development team and, and so on. Or you're, uh, you know, I spent seven, eight years as a one-man shop before I got into teaching. Mm-hmm. And I know one of the you know, most important things that I, I figured out quite early on was I had to be on the same page as my client. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? Because, you know, if we did something and, and the client said, gee, that's not what I wanted, you know, I really needed to be able to show them that based on our earlier discussions, this is what you wanted. Yes. And otherwise, we're going to have to talk about more money if you want me to start making significant changes at this point now that you've seen it. And um, what I also, not not even about money, so what I also notice is uh, sometimes clients just tend to forget things and uh, not mm-hmm. just really forget. Not, you know, in the evil way to forget. They yeah. just forget, you know, stuff. So uh, sometimes I said, you don't remember? We talk about that. This was exactly your opinion. And they just cannot remember. But if we write it down or capture it somehow, it remains at least, you know, uh, a statement. So this is what I some- sometimes regretted. So, okay, we actually spent, you know, the entire workshop just talking about the thing the client agreed. And now they completely forgot, actually, the solution to the problem, right? So this was, which is, for for, for a consultant is great because I can sell the same solution again. But sometimes it is annoying because you can also do different stuff. So, um, yeah, this is, um, okay. So we covered a little bit the analysis phase of a system. So um, we have to agree, you know, with the client to uh, what, what we are building and uh, we should create a mock or whatever um, to, to, know, to make it more clear um, how it is going to work and, and maybe even you know, show a system which is similar to our system and talk about the competition or whatever so that we have clear, mm-hmm. clear understanding what, uh, what we are talking about. So, okay, so, okay. And you start with database tables, so the same here. I start you know, with the essential uh, entities or domain objects right. and uh, they are actually, if you do it with JPA, Java Persistence API, they are mapped one-to-one to the tables. In no SQL databases, um, even more interesting because what can happen is that multiple such essential entities are mapped to one document or mm-hmm. S3 buckets that you can you know store the entire domain graph in in one in one as one document as one JSON blob. Um, okay, so uh, understood. So uh, same here because um, first you need you know the. The, the entities, the pure domain objects. And then we need to know the behavior. This is like the boundary of the system. So how I think about this, there are the entities and there's the boundary, the perimeter to the outside world. And this is uh, in late, this can be no rest UI. And then in the other end, we have the user interface, which is this day is usually, you know, some kind of a web app usually. Mm-hmm. I think another thing that's, you know, when, I go back to my time Mm -hmm. working. Mm -hmm. It was you would get a contract and you would basically say to the client, okay, see you in three months, Mm -hmm. see you in six months, see you in a year. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of that time, you'd show up and you'd be sweating, hoping that what you were showing them Mm -hmm. is what they wanted. Mm -hmm. Of course, that's not the way most organizations work. You know, the, the buzzwords of agile and so on. Uh, I don't really care what you call your framework, but it's important today that your client is involved in the process. Yes. That you know you can start showing them preliminary work as quickly as possible. That you almost want to make the client feel like they're part of the development team. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I th- I think that's another critical part about being a professional engineer. That um, again, going back in the, the old cliche of the developers always worked in the sub basement and grew mushrooms on their monitors and never met another living soul. Uh, I've told my students over the years, 
that you'll probably spend as much as half of your time just talking to clients, talking to other people on your team, interacting, reviewing. Uh, it's not that, you know, I stick my head in my keyboard and nobody sees me until it's done. And that's part of being a professional programmer. You have to be good with people. Yes. I think that mm -hmm. people skills are critical now. Uh, preliminary work is a dangerous thing because um, if you show your client a user interface, in my mm -hmm. opinion, it must not look good. If you create, you know, in the early iterations, an interface which looks great, client thinks it's done. It happened, you know, several times for me. To me, <laughs> so if you have, you know, a user interface, uh, don't use, you know, the best CSS. Do it later. Mm -hmm. And you remember Swing? Oh, yes. You remember napkin look and feel? It's funny you mention that. I would always show that in my classes when we did swing. I thought it was the most obscene look and feel. Yeah, it looks uh, not right. So it looks completely broken. Yeah. But uh, yeah. this is what I would show to clients. You know, say, okay, we are not done. And at the end, we did, you know, the substance look and feel, for instance, which looked always great. And... Uh, But uh, because, you know, the clients, if they see buttons and you push the button, something happened, they, they, they think, you know, the, the, the project is done. Yeah. The, uh, and this is um, because, you know, uh, someone who is not developer, they don't even know where the code runs, right? So if you are not mm -hmm. a developer and you see something on the screen, uh, you think it is working. It's exactly for us if, you know, see a car, we are expecting it already drive. So if someone, if we will now hire someone to build us a car... And I see the car, my expectation is I can just use it. Also, it's just, you know, an empty shell. So it's the same for the for the software development. So this is um, also, also interesting. Yeah. Okay, what about testing? <laughs> it's funny. I, I mentioned the last time we spoke that I'm, I'm working on a book and uh, I'm up to chapter 11 and that's all about testing. Are you done with the book, actually? No, no, there's 15 chapters and I'm just up to 11. To But, 11. This is 11 is the, you know, the most important chapter, I think. Yeah. It's not 10, it's 11. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I've always felt... You had so much time. It's not, still not done. So my, I thought, you know, I will re-invite you back in December. The book is yeah, done I'm, and we can talk about the book. This was the plan, Ken. Uh, I know, I know, I know. But uh, let me tell you, writing is a lot harder than I imagined. Mm -hmm. And we're kind of sliding off topic here. But the, the key is... I don't feel comfortable writing anything unless I can prove that what I'm writing is correct. Mm -hmm. So I spend a significant amount of time researching mm -hmm. everything that I want to say to make sure that I even understand it correctly. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's led to the discovery of a lot of bad code out there. But that's another story. Uh, writing the book has been exciting. It, you What's, know, the 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 is, What's the title of the book? What's the title like? It's The book is called Transitioning to Java, mm -hmm. and it's aimed at developers who already code in another language, mm -hmm. who find themselves in a situation where they've suddenly been asked to take over some Java code, contribute some Java code, and so they really need to try and get up to speed as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a handbook more than anything else, mm -hmm. that each of the chapters look at different aspects of the language. Um, We can't go too deep. The publisher isn't interested, and I wasn't interested in writing eight or 900 pages. I never thought I could. I've since learned I could if I needed to. <laughs> But the idea is, if you've barely ever seen Java and suddenly you've got some code in front of me, in front of you, hopefully this book that I'm writing will help you understand what you're looking at and what you're going to have to do to, you know, add to it, maintain it, okay. and so on. So when we come to testing. One of the things that I felt strongly about in my courses was that uh, your code doesn't work until the testing works, till mm -hmm. the, the unit testing or integration testing, depending on how complex the system is. And uh, why this is interesting, and I'll send you this link separately and you can publish it, but it showed up that somebody did research, an actual academic paper on how many developers actually employ unit testing. Mm -hmm. And the results of this research, basically a survey of developers around the world, was absolutely scary. Less than half of the developers deliver code that's been tested. Mm -hmm. And I went, but, but 
how can you do that? How do you know if you have a, a function that's expecting a value? How do you know how it's going to behave if the value is too small, too large? It's the wrong type. Um, you know, generics in Java because it's a compile time rather than a runtime. There's all kinds of things that can happen. And if you aren't prepared for them. Now, a lot of people talk about oh, test-driven development. Um, I think that may come after many years of experience. But this idea that every time you write a public method, whether it's server-side, desktop, mobile, that the next thing you write is the unit test for it. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I know I can say that until I'm blue in the face and very few programmers want to do that because writing tests isn't as much fun as writing the application code. So it kept, keeps being put off, put off, put off. And then you say to your supervisor, your lead, the, the owner, well, I've finished writing all the code, but I need a couple days to run the to write the unit tests. And I think more often than not, they're going to say, well, did it crash when you ran it? No, it's done. Exactly. So you have to get into that idea that you write tests while you code, not after. Possibly before, but never after. Ken, you will enjoy an Airhex uh, FM episode of this podcast number 103. You know the title? Unit testing considered harmful. <laughs> you 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 have to 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 listen to it. This is with I'm Alex. making a note of the number. Yeah, yeah one hundred and three. And um, what the problem I see in the wild is um, so large companies, right? So the large companies are hiring consultants consultants to write up external people to write software system. And now in the contract they see okay we need a high code coverage for unknown reasons eighty percent. And what the developers are, do, are doing, because it's in the contract, they are writing the 80% code coverage. And of course, what is the easiest way to achieve that? So you start you know, to write tests for code with no business logic. <laughs> and the remaining 20% are as you know, the crucial code, which is hard to test, but everything is 80% tested. And you know the project uh, is green. They get you know the contract that actually nothing was tested at all. So what um, what I do in my projects? So we do the unit tests on demand, and instead of unit tests, we write end-to-end -end or system tests. So in our contents management system, what I will do is I will just you know use the Jupyter so JUnit five, but instead of writing unit or integration tests. I'm testing the system from outside first. So what I would like to have to is the automated, you know, um, API interaction with the system from day one. So if we would, uh, we have the database, database tables, the next step, what you said, I would like to start with database tables. So I start with the entities. The next step would be to have, you know, create, read, update, delete, whatever, or just, you know, create an update or whatever, just to, you know, or insert just to the database. So I will create a boundary with a REST interface and immediately write a test for it and see whether the entire lifecycle is working, you know, from from the beginning to the end. So we can, mm -hmm. uh, and and this is the most crucial part. It's like, you know, driving the car. And what happens then is, the next step is, um, I will find out that it's actually impossible to test everything from outside because I cannot reach, you know, uh, all the corner cases you mentioned. So I, it is right. impossible... I just, for instance, can just, you know, create a session, but I cannot test from, from outside, you know, whether the speaker name is too long or the title, you know, contains some words which are not allowed or whatever. And for that, I would write unit tests. So in my projects, in the very beginning, there are almost no unit tests and a lot of system tests. And the longer we spend in the projects, the more unit tests we are writing, So which is which is which is interesting. So if you would see my project at the beginning, the unit test co code coverage would be maybe 10%. System test coverage from outside is maybe 80%, so usually. Mm. And uh, what I'm doing then, I'm misusing the system tests to find unused code. Because if you call the system mm. via API from outside, what you, what you see is, okay, I called you now create a session. So my expectation is if I create a session via our system, all the critical path is called. 
Now the question is why there is some you know left over, why some code is not executed, and maybe it's forgotten code, so we delete the code. So this is actually my unusual approach, and, and it works quite well. Um, because if you start with unit tests, your system is not operational. It's like you know, I always say if you're if you if you're a car builder, you just push the buttons in a car without driving it. So maybe it, everything looks nice, but it, it is not operational. I, I'm you know I I agree with you completely in terms of that particular approach. Um, again, my perspective because it has been many years since I've actually written any software professionally. Uh, it's all about you know, when you look at somebody who's coming into the profession who wants to be a developer, um, you know, I think in the beginning of, of your career, unit testing has to be important to you. With experience, you can begin to see, as, as probably your 103 podcast points out, that unit tests uh, can become a, a false indicator of yeah. the you know success of the project. I can certainly understand that. And and the main problem with that is just you know statistics, because um, for most system tests you don't get the code coverage because it's harder to set up, mm -hmm. and it's very easy to get the stats for the unit test coverage. So what many projects are doing, a lot of projects are doing, they are just using the unit tests you know to drive the code coverage, and they're completely ignoring the code coverage from system tests. This is what I see in the wild, which is not reasonable. And um, I would say, and then it's more fun because what you're actually doing, you're automating from outside your system, right? So you're calling, you know, the endpoints and something happens behind the scenes and this is actually fun. And unit tests are fun later because my way of testing is too slow. So if I you know invoke everything from outside, I have to wait until mm -hmm. the system is deployed. So then I will find out, okay, I would like to test, you know, this corner case, but it's really hard with the system test. So I ju just spend time in unit testing then. And even more important than system tests are stress tests. Because, you know, uh, lots of projects are breaking because, you know, uh, they have memory leaks, they have inconsistencies, you know, logs, optimistic logs, and whatever. And um, you can only test that with concurrency. It is impossible to do it with unit tests. So um, the next step is we have system tests. And then on top of that, immediately, we run, you know, um, just brute force attacks against our system to see how it behaves, how much memory it consumes, you know, is it, you know, how mm -hmm. much CPU we can have in uh, in production. And then we do a little bit almost chaos engineering. So what I mean by that, we, um, we try to misconfigure the system. What happens if there are not enough, you know, JDBC connections? Or what happens mm. if there are not enough threats? Because I would like you know to see as as many problems as possible during development. So this is so my you know hacky way of uh, of building systems. Well, I I wouldn't call it hacky. Um, I, I think we we agree on you know testing. Yeah. It's just you know what type when, mm -hmm. uh, and I don't think there's a wrong answer here. Whether you start with system tests and as you start to see problems, you then move to unit tests to, to better identify where that problem may be in the system or even work the other way around. You know, feel comfortable that, you know, all your methods are working and then see what happens when they're now all working together as a system. What's important is you've got to do both. Yes. You know, mm -hmm. you can't just say, well, the system tests are fine or it's like a, I've always loved playing with Selenium. Uh, there's another level of testing, yes. you know, testing yeah. the user interface. Mm -hmm. And, and that, you know, talk about how, finding ways to just destroy software. You know Cypress? No, I'm not familiar with that. Cypress is uh, an, a nicer uh, Selenium. So Cypress oh, okay. is like uh, you can in, you can load in Chrome uh, the website and automate it fully. The problem with Selenium was it is it goes over network. So you, there are lots of lockups and it was slow and not always reliable. But with uh, Cypress, it uh, it works better. Oh, your dog. My my dog is barking. My wife has just come home, so uh, what's my name dog of, has heard the what, dog. What's name of? of Her the... name is Willow. Willow. Oh, Willow. Willow yeah. And uh, is it like you know what what kind of dog is it? Uh, it's a Shetland sheep dog. Uh huh. So this is a dog that looks like a Coley, like Lassie, ah. a famous dog, except she's only sixteen inches tall. Okay. So she's a, a small dog. Okay. And um, 
But very oh, smart, yeah. right? Yes, very, very smart. And she does my taxes. Uh, she has some trouble with deductions. Okay, what, what, she, what she does, uh, the unit test first or system test? What she prefers? Uh, she's a system test a system. person. Uh, okay, yeah. okay. She's, she's the not, big not picture. Person, not person. <laughs> Just... <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Um, okay, so I agree. Uh, maybe the, the difference is, or the difference, um, if you build software, you know, the, the goal should be to build great software. And the goal should mm-hmm. not be, you know, to 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 game the system. This is what I see in, in the wild, you know, that lots of metrics are in place to misuse them, you know. Mm-hmm. And the metrics should help us and not, you know, be so, okay, if we implement, you know, the 80% code coverage, then the system is good. So, uh, or if we have, you know, five iterations a day, then there's a good software. No, we, we already know that, you know, uh, iteration is good, and uh, the the stats can help us. But uh, uh, we should keep in mind that what we are building has to be reasonable, and the client should be happy, right? So this is the 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 the, the main goal. And sometimes, mm-hmm. and sometimes people forget about that. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and um, just uh, I remember that um, there was a r- research, or 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 at least in an interview with military, and uh, they asked, you know, the uh, the um, I don't know whom, but uh, the uh, there was like special task forces and and special forces, and they ask you know um, the people why you are here, and everyone knew exactly what the goal of the of the project is and what the purpose you know of the of the role is, and in the larger the project in software engineering, the more people forget what they're actually doing. You know, this is uh, this is the <laughs> this is the problem, and uh, so uh, I would say, but this. It's got really better in recent years. That uh, the te- teams are smaller; they are really motivated. I would say so I see a huge progress. I didn't expect that, but this is true. Actually, everything is getting better. The software engineering is um, more fun and uh, is more pragmatic and more productive than it was five years ago. No question about it, and it is maturing. Yeah, you know, um, you know, there was, you know, there was the mainframe programmer and. You know, they had their style. And but the, main pr- the ma- mainframe programmers were incredibly productive. So I met, you know, yeah. a lot of them, and they were extremely pragmatic, you know. Uh, they, 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 uh, they knew what they are doing, and they, were, they, they understood everything, you know. The problem were we Java developers, because, you know, with 20 layers of abstractions without knowing <laughs> why, you know. So, um, yep. yeah. Okay. What are the next steps? So what we covered already is testing with a little bit... Un- um, uh, Analysis of the software, right? So with UML and 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 what else? So we, you can also cover stuff from a book if you like. So um, what what else we need to know to be a professional programmer or developer? Or or, uh, or, or a question to you: What's the difference between programmer and developer? Hmm. I've I've generally thought of those two terms as synonymous, <laughs> right? That you know they're the the same thing. You know, I guess. Developer sounds a little classier than programmer, yeah. Because you know, uh, but I'm, I think they're the same in terms of what else. And again, I'll refer to you know something I, I just finished writing in the book I'm working on is having a good understanding of both software principles and software patterns. So you know, one of the things I've always stressed in my students is things like uh, single responsibility, separation of concerns. That these are uh, guiding principles that you need to think about every single day mm-hmm. and for every line of code you write. Mm-hmm. Then there's patterns. Patterns represent an approach, a, a, a way in which to solve the specific problem. You know, the classic is a, a singleton pattern or uh, an adapter. Um, and there's, you know, certainly lots of patterns and lots of books written on it. But in terms of what skills you need, it's more than just knowing how to write the code, but to understand the, the approach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, the, the classic example is you want to build a bridge. And I discovered, and it's part of my research for my book, that there are seven different types of bridges. Uh, suspension, um, oh, you know, different types, the way they're held up. And so somebody building a bridge begins by deciding which of these patterns they're going to use 
and then using their engineering, architecture, whatever skills. Almost Christoph Alexander, right? From Gang of Four. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. That's where it all came from. Uh, and I think today uh, a professional programmer needs to be versed in that. That they can't look at every problem as I've never seen this before. They look at Stack Overflow. They, they look at Stack Overflow. No. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, geez. Stack Overflow. I, I, it's a great place to, you know, get some ideas, but certainly for, for students and stuff, um, they're usually reluctant to prove to themselves that what they've just copied from Stack Overflow actually works. Yeah. Are you, you actually know? aware of GRASP, General Responsibility Assignment Software Patterns? Oh, okay. I've heard the, the term before, yes. There is an, from Craig Lahman with a great, great book. It's a little bit older. It's Applying UML and Patterns. But this book is extremely pragmatic UML book. Mm. And why I like it that much? Because um, this is a Wikipedia page. So um, if you search for Grasp Object-Oriented Design, you will find that. And um, basically, he has patterns. But these patterns are more like meta patterns. It's not like Gang of Four. It's just, uh, how to build a system so it, it, it works. So I, I give you an example. So his patterns are information expert, creator, controller, indirection, low coupling, high cohesion, polymorphism, polymorphism, protected variations, and pure fabrication. And, um, and um, so I, I used these ideas a lot because um, information experts are actually your database tables. So mm. the idea is um, if we start, you know, with, uh, let's say, the session, then is the session the information expert because the session contains the essential knowledge about the system. So this is the, our conference session. The problem with it is the more we build a system, let's say we have a session and the session has you no know, tags. So session has uh, a lot, uh, some tags. So the tags be uh, become, you know, a part of the session. Then we have the author, and the author is I know, an attribute of the session, later can be an own entity, but if you are not cautious, everything becomes the session. So it's like a monolith session, right? So this is the information expert. So, um, and, 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 and um, then we have, you know, the creator. The creator is the question. So we have the session, but how the session is actually created? It's not about the factory about the fact that we need the insert in the table. So we need to know something which takes the data and does new session, how this is working. And right. this is called pure fabrication. So I just, you know, looking up the names. Yeah, yeah. And the pure fabrication means the session is a pure domain object, but the pure domain object does not start. It doesn't work. So what we need is a sum of an ugly class which boots the session. This can be AWS Lambda. This could be an EGB, a servlet, a CDI bean, whatever you have, mm -hmm. a Java bean. It has nothing to do, we know, with the business logic. It has something to do that with the framework we are using, something which, you know, starts the entire thing. And this is called pure fabrication. Protected variations, another thing. You say, then we know, we see, okay, we have the payment system you mentioned. And we recognize that there is no one payment system. Maybe there are 10. And uh, but we would like not to be depending on PayPal. We would like you know to have a, an 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 interface to payment systems. And this is where you no know, protected variations came in place. Okay, we would like to protect from the payment variation. So we introduce a Java interface to be able you know to to handle the the various ways of of billing or 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 right. or, or, or paying. And polymorphism, of course, is like an object-oriented way, also, also very important because in one point of Java, I would say 10 years ago, systems, what I noticed, there was no object orientation. So we had the database tables, you know. The database table had a column, type, and then developers did, you know, if type book, then, you know, we do this. If otherwise this, and they forgot that we have instance of an inheritance, for instance. So yeah. if you have too many, you know... Um, type uh, queries, it's time maybe, you know, to, to introduce uh, inheritance. So this was the polymorphism. And low mm -hmm. coupling and high cohesion is the best way to, to design Java packages. What it means, whatever is, not, not even Java packages. So you, you mentioned methods. So it's Java class first. You know, all methods in a Java class 
has to have something in common with each other. Otherwise, you know, they, they are not cohesive. So yeah, if you have a session, so we should have, you know, just session-related methods, but not payment. It should be in the in, uh, in, in, in payment process, for instance, not in the session. And so there is the high cohesion and low coupling means, you know, the session should be decoupled from payment, let's say. So, and then um, this basically what was, so what it means is you are constantly revisiting all the patterns the grasp patterns, and you are iteratively build a system. The interesting part is, if you just focus on one pattern, your system is out of balance because with information experts, everything is becoming not single purpose and uh, uh, mm. class. Everything is becoming one class. So um, I, I really I, I bought this book. I don't know, fifteen years ago. If it's still available, you should really buy it. It's a great, great book, and. Um, and uh, the gang of all patterns and uh, come later. So this this just you know explains how to design a system, and uh, and the gang of all patterns um, is you know how concretely implement you know the requirements from Grasp. Right. So it's interesting as you've been talking, you know we haven't really said anything about you know actual coding skills. We're really still talking about, you know, what are the approach? How are we going to design our code? Yes. How are we going to, to work it out? And I think, you know, there are a lot of people who are really skilled in developing code, but less so in, you know, analyzing and understanding the problem, right? That, you know, there's still some people who believe all I want to do is write code. Just tell me what you want and you'll get it. And where we started talking is, no, I think the programmer, that developer, whichever term you like, has to be involved as soon as possible. Ah, the pro Start meeting the clients. The programmer and developer, why I asked, uh, I remember it was a huge German company, the year I would say. 2002 maybe or 2000 something like this and the developers um they had a meeting a, a long meeting and um i was an external consultant and there were internal developers and they discussed whether on the business card should be you know some certified java programmer or developer so this was the discussion <laughs> so this is ask you know i remember you know the meeting is okay programmer or developer um yeah uh regarding coding so i would say one skill is very important to me is to be able to write a very simple code and tr don't try to even to use all Java features if they are not necessary. What I see a lot in projects that the, you know the Java developers try to implement whatever whatever they know for Hello World, and 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 this makes the code very complicated and the code is not even well to maintain because if you see you no know, system out printer is enough, but if you have you know. Uh, had a message writer, which is an interface and uh, is created by a factory, which is a reflection because the writer, you know, can be configured in, in property file, but the property file is too, too much coupling. So the configurator is an interface, which could fetch, you know, the configuration over the network or whatever, but the config network could be slow. So the configurator has, you know, with aspect-oriented programming, uh, a decorator, which caches the configuration. And then, um, and then, at the end, you have Hello World with fifty classes, and this is actually happened happened to me, not with Hello World, but, but in one project, you know, I had to read, you know, the I, I got an actually the job to read a a, a version number of of a of a device, so it cannot be, you know, that hard. I just call get version number, and I have the number. No, there was That's it. there was an entire command framework, and I was actually not able to do it in three days. I have to tell. But um, so so um, this is what I mean. Uh, just write simple code, and, and and this code can really look like JDK one one, and and you are done. Mm -hmm. There is no need, you know, to implement all to use all the great Java features, because um, there was a framework and library overuse in Java, which led, you know, to to uh, I would say to the popularity of scripting languages, because you know, no one in Python, or at least to my knowledge doesn't start, you know, with 50 layers to fetch something from database. They call it, you know, give me the data from database and they are happy. Yeah. And the Java developers have, you know, DAOs, interfaces, data transfer objects and transformers and aggregators. And at the end of the day, uh, if the database changes, they have to change all the layers anyway. Well, it's, you know, one of the, the software principles, of course, is KISS. Keep it simple. And you can figure out what the last S means. Stupid, of course. Uh, <laughs> and dry. I was thinking of something worse. But anyway. 
<laughs> but this is, you know, there is this somehow this desire. I, I many years ago we had a student, and he was brilliant. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, he he handed in solutions that I'd never seen, but he also took pride in his complexity, mm -hmm. and. I would have to take them aside and I'm saying, yeah, this is brilliant, but out in the field, if this goes out, if you ever leave the company, no one is ever going to understand mm -hmm. why the heck you did this. I don't care how much documentation you write. Mm -hmm. It's just so different yeah. from established patterns. And granted, l let me compliment you, you know, brilliant work, mm -hmm. but you're going to have trouble holding on to a job if every project you take is an attempt by you to demonstrate how amazing you are and you know no 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 we hired you because you're already amazing now write code that our clients want that we can maintain that we can evolve we can get a revenue stream from that's your role yeah and i think there is no reason regardless how smart are you actually to write a complex code I would say right <laughs> that's true that's true you don't have to be smart to to be complex <laughs> <laughs> exactly um listen i don't we, we cannot cover everything but i gave you a last chance um let's say in a few months i expect you to write the remaining four chapters and, yes. and then we can you know meet again but then there is no excuse i i know i expect from you to have a completed book and we can talk you know, about the book a little bit if you like I, I'd love to. It's close. I, I even have a cover, so I've seen what the cover is going to look. You should like. not spend. You know, this is the problem with professional writers. They spend. You know, they waste time with covers and forget about the chapters. Oh wait a minute! <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, that's that's what the the publisher company yeah, packed uh -huh. is my is my publisher. And yeah, no, I you know it didn't go quite as fast. So they've got me on a much shorter leash. We're down to a chapter a week. Oh. And I've delivered the last two chapters under that schedule, and I'm going to be starting the, the next one tomorrow. So, it, you know, we're looking at my writing finished by, say, the first week in January, whatever edits. What's interesting about the process is as I submit work, I'm getting, you know, you know feedback from the editorial. And there are two domain experts or technical reviewers mm -hmm who read everything and send me notes and I've got to, you know, respond to them along the way. Hopefully you so, don't get, uh, you know, more notes than your text, then, you know, you have trouble. Well, you know, <laughs> I think one of the reasons that, that makes me take as long as I am, I have been to write this is I, the last thing I want to see from a technical reviewer is something like, are you out of your mind? That's not how it works. <laughs> and so I, I, I want to make sure that, you know, Somebody who has, and, and my one of my reviewers is far more skilled than I am, uh, doesn't feel that I've, you know, embarrassed him or embarrassed me by what I've said. Mm -hmm. And that takes a lot of effort, right? Mastering the writing, getting the English syntax. Yeah. You know, the last chapter I finished when I, I put it through one of these, you know, grammar thingies, it came back and said, all is good. Okay. Which is a big difference from chapter one, where it gave me a really long list <laughs> of all the things I did wrong with the English language. So uh, I'm getting better there. And, and you know, the, the process has been exciting. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, the book is, uh, well, I've made a commitment. Uh, fortunately, being retired, I have some time. But time but I flies, also get that's the problem, right? So That's it, yeah. exactly. You know, we started this in June and, oh, yeah, no problem at all. Be finished by the beginning of December. And here I am with still five chapters left to go. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's all a learning experience. Who did, the other day I was reading somebody I know talking about, ah, they just finished their book. It only took them two years. Yeah. And I'm going, oh, geez. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Ken, then I would say, let's try in spring again. Maybe the book is out. So just ping me and we'll talk and know yeah. the remaining professional programmer things and about your book. Yeah. You know, don't worry. I will be plastering its cover all over social media uh, you know just to make sure that i sell at least one copy yeah two because i will also buy it so just <laughs> out of principle uh perfect uh, where people can find you on the internet give me you know your i think omniprof right omniprof that's i've managed to grab that name i think i told you before yeah when i was uh, programming as a contractor i had a company i called omnibus mm -hmm. 
And uh, so I put Omni in front of all kinds of things. Now it is. So, uh, it should be an Omni book. You know, yeah, exactly. My website is omnijava.com. Okay. Uh, Omniprof, and you'll find me Omniprof There's on even, uh, Twitter, o- on o- Mastodon. Omni Group, you know, Omni Group. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you are the CTO or CEO. This is why. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. It was, um, I would say, a great conversation, really. So um, Ooh, I, thank you. Yeah, and I really enjoyed it because I remembered the grasp, you know, which I almost forgot. And um, yeah, yeah, it was um, maybe it helps you as well. So to take a look at the book Applying Your Melon Patterns from Craig Laman. It's a great, great book. Yeah. I enjoy the opportunity to talk with you and I get to learn something. Uh, and yeah, hopefully, grass. don't you know? I'm I'm just a just a hands down programmer, so whatever I say is not maybe <laughs> that you know well thought out. But um, thank you. So see you in spring. Great, absolutely. Take care.